Welcome to Integrative Oncology Talk, where we discuss the latest science and opinions from leading voices in integrative oncology. Integrative oncology utilizes complementary therapies and lifestyle strategies to help those affected by cancer using personalized approaches and evidence-based recommendations. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Santosh Rao, a medical oncologist and integrative oncologist, and Dr. Judith Lacey, a supportive care and integrative oncology physician. With support from the Society for Integrative Oncology, an international multidisciplinary organization whose mission is to advance the science and education of integrative oncology worldwide. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect views of the participants' workplace or SIO and are not meant to offer medical advice. The information, opinions, and recommendations in the podcast are for general information only. Before making any changes in your healthcare or lifestyle, please discuss with your healthcare provider. On today's Integrative Oncology Talk, we're going to be talking about health equity and integrative oncology. I'm speaking with two of my colleagues. Dr. Anna Maria Lopez is Professor and Vice Chair of Medical Oncology at Sydney Kimmel Medical College and Chief of Cancer Services at Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center at Jefferson Health. She's also served in the past as the Director of Cancer Health Equity and Inclusion at the Huntsman Cancer Center Cancer Institute in Salt Lake City and the Associate Vice President of Health Equality and Inclusion at the University of Utah Health. She's a board-certified medical oncologist and an integrative physician. She's also President Emeritus of the American College of Physicians. She's uh, previously been working with the American Society for Clinical Oncology as the chair of the Health Equity Committee, as well as the American Association of American Medical Colleges, where she served as the member of the steering committee of the Group of Women in Medicine and Science. I'm also speaking with Dr. Eleanor Walker, who is the Director of Breast Services and Radiation Oncology at Henry Ford Cancer Institute in Detroit. She's received multiple awards, including the University of Notre Dame Distinguished Black Exemplar and 1998 University of Notre Dame Soren Award. Both Dr. Walker and Dr. Lopez serve as co-chairs of the Health Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Committee for the Society for Integrative Oncology. So let's jump right in it. I, I want to first ask, so we're going to be talking about health disparities, health equity. Tell me first what language we should be using and, and the importance of, of these terms, the, the definition of these terms. And then um, maybe you guys can speak a little bit about um, the scope of these issues, both in this country, in the U.S., and internationally. Sure. I, I'll, I'll start and, and then have Dr. Walker fix my answer. <laughs> um, you know, I really love the term health equity. And, I, and so I guess um, maybe it's not either or. I think it's so much. We've spent, you know, Eleanor and I, we've been doing this a long time. <laughs> and, um, and the thing is that we've looked at disparities. Disparities are out there. They exist. We've documented. Um, not that we still don't need to do that. But let's look to what would a world look like where there was equity. And let's begin to create, put policies in place where that is where we're heading. Let's look at fixing it. So I think that's part of the push to really integrate health equity into our lexicon. And what do you mean by equity? I guess 
what we mean by equity is you're creating an environment where everybody's needs are met as much as possible so that there isn't something that's preventing a person with a certain health issue or a certain culture or even a language from accessing what they need in society. I totally agree that we know for sure that one size doesn't fit all, right? We just want to have it be the needs tailored to the people. And it is amazing because we're talking about some basic needs. You know, I attended a talk yesterday, you know, we, um, We've uncovered, you know, through the last couple of years with COVID and everything. And I, and I, so that's where I think we need to policy advocacy is so important. And then to think again, simple things and that it's not one size fits all. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Well, let's jump into some of what you're talking about, because I think what, what I want to talk about, and you mentioned that we know a lot already. We know that there are, uh, you know, inequities along racial lines you know, you mentioned age, obviously where you live, you know, we've had talks about what's um, the inequities in the Navajo reservation, for example, and other places like that, where it's just a lot harder for people to access care than they would in other locations. A lot of this is public health, right? So when you talk about insurance and, you know, policy and what governments can do to help people. You know, you're talking about food security and a lot of things that as oncologists, many times we have programs, but, you know, it's difficult. These are the challenges that we face when our patients say, I can't afford that medication. I don't have transportation to come in that really limit our implementation of of evidence-based, you know, best care. So, you know, where is the first place to start there? And, and you know, we're going to focus a little bit on integrative oncology as well. But, you know, how do you start affecting policy and what can be done? What is a, a best case scenario as well? You know, I think we have to start with data. Um, if we don't know, if we don't ask, we won't know. And then we won't really have a sense of what we need to do. Where are the needs? And, you know, there are a lot of models now to like identify, I I don't know, the vulnerable populations or at risk. And um, a cancer survivor said to me, the best question would just be to say, since your last visit, is there anything that's come up in your life that would really impact your ability to continue with your treatment? And I thought that's such a nice way to ask the question, you know, because, you know, some of these forms, it's like, I mean, it's basically saying, are you poor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and nobody, nobody wants to say that, Mm -hmm. but is there anything that's come up in your life? I I just thought that was such a nice way. So, so I'm thinking, yeah, we want to know what people need and we want to ask in a way that people will tell us so that we can then put in place solutions to try to help people. And I think you also have to make it such that the patient feels when they see you or just even someone in the community, you're a safe person or it's a safe space to be honest. Because a lot of times it's difficult for us as providers to help patients as much as we could if they felt safe enough to tell us about these changes. 
Um, and then I think the other part of the answer to your question, Santos, is we already know there's disparities in our government in terms of representation. And we have to get people in place as much as possible through education, through training, through elections, so that those people can help develop and put policies that are more equitable in place. Well, I was going to say it's the same with um, with medical care, that um, having diversity in our providers is very important just to be able to provide culturally sensitive, safe, whatever, whoever people identify with um, is very, very important as well. And I've heard people say that before, that in different cultures and different groups, there's a certain fear, uh, distrust of the medical system. What can we do to help bridge that gap? Has, has, has there been things that have been successful in bridging that gap in, you know, in certain populations? Yes, trying to increase the workforce, uh, increasing cultural diversity can um, can definitely be a helpful, um, and, and then also that we all need to learn. And that it's, um, there. there is the difference of culture, but there is also the difference of access that can make people fearful. You know, when we talk with, um, I, I've, did a lot of work in the West and, you know, a lot of rural populations. And um, there can be a lot of distrust of the health system. And these are primarily uh, white populations that for whatever reasons, you know, experiences or um, or just not, not going to care regularly. We sort of assume <laughs> that people go to care regularly, that that's what happens, but not experiencing that or the benefits of it, maybe just seeing the costs of it. Or or I remember one lady who would say, you know, she, she would go to the doctor like every five, 10 years and say, they'd always find something wrong. I don't want to go because they find something wrong. Right. And the thing <laughs> is that because you know, somebody looked, they found that the blood sugar was a little high or the thyroid was a little low. But um, but yeah, I think, uh, and again, in this time period that we've been through with COVID, there's a lot more sense of distrust mm -hmm. and incumbent on us to, you know, you know, with the distrust of science, how do we prove trustworthiness? How do we engage our patients? And when we talk about integrative oncology, you know, what I think is so beautiful there is that the proof's in the pudding. You know, the patients go in, maybe they try meditation, maybe they try acupuncture. And I think we're we're so right there with them that it works, it doesn't work, but we're there with them. And then we have uh, another option. But generally things, you know, people feel better and you can't argue with that. Well, I think a prime example of kind of what you were asking and what Anna Marie was talking about happened this week. For me, one of my colleagues, who's another black female um, physician, had a very close family friend who was diagnosed with a stage three colon cancer, had surgery, lymph node positive. So he needs adjuvant chemo. And he's very, very intelligent man, but very distressful of the medical system and the need for standard of care. And he was always always running, eating healthy, paying attention. So now he's got this cancer and he wants to be treated with integrative medicine. 
for mm-hmm. his cancer as opposed to standard of care. And he's in a small town. So again, rural population. And nobody talked to him about the pros and cons of integrative medicine as part of his overall cancer care. So my colleague asked me if we could do a three-way to talk with him about that. And, you know, as an oncologist and as a Black doctor, because he was open to listening to me as a Black doctor, and I could tell him similar things about standard of care, but I was also bringing in the integrative part of his care and support and what he could do after he finished his standard of care, in addition to help prevent recurrence. And that made a big difference to him. Do you guys feel like there's a lot of bias in who we offer integrative care to uh, along, you know, our own biases, basically, or, or other providers that will look at, let's say, a woman, for example, and think, oh, they may want to hear more about integrative medicine or somebody who's white or what have you. I offer it to all my patients. It's embedded into our health system. And even we're having a big prostate cancer screening this weekend. And I have an acupuncturist there and a massage therapist there so that we could introduce the concept as part of their holistic health care as we're educating them about prostate cancer. That's great, Eleanor. That's great. But I I do think that um, since often integrative services are not covered by insurance, then it is, you know, fee for service. So a lot of people are limited from accessing, um, you know, you know, $500 for a first appointment. That's, that's not going to be comfortable for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask you guys about, about models of care. And, you know, the great thing, uh, you know, Society for Integrative Oncology uh, has partnered with ASCO on a, on a new pain guideline. Um, you know, there, there are guidelines now, NCCN guidelines has incorporated a lot of integrative modalities for symptom management and survivorship, all good. And yet, uh, if people cannot access that care because it's fee for service and out of pocket, it has the potential of continuing to widen this gap of quality care for those who can afford it. So what do you see as barriers and you know, kind of where do we go from here in terms of, you know, is it just getting insurance reimbursement? How do we overcome some of these barriers to implementation of the guidelines? And then my second question is, are you aware of some very successful models for an equitable uh, model for for implementing integrative oncology? Definitely uh, in the United States, access to care is primarily through health insurance. As a uh, NCCN, ASCO, you know, as guidelines are coming out that incorporate, and, you know, when we think integrative, we're also thinking about lifestyle factors, you know, that these are part and parcel of health and maintaining health, that um, that, uh, that these efforts should also be covered um, by insurance to keep people healthy. But aside from that, I think it is also educating um, physicians educating clinical teams 
so that they are able to bring this to the bring the best evidence to the patient. You know, I think so often we may have a bias that, well, it's the pill that's doing this, you know, it's the treatment that's doing this and that, yeah, you know, go eat whatever you want. Yeah. But I think there's just increasing data that the impact of lifestyle is just so important. So, so I think we need to educate our teams and educate our students so that as they come, it's just common what they do. And we need to have, I, I think team-based care is so important because off we may not have that time. So we need to have teams of people that can engage the patient and can give, you know, not just go walk. Like, and then again, I think from our own experience, how many of us walk or exercise based on that recommendation? Mm-hmm. We need more instruction for people on how to do this, how do you incorporate it? So, you know, that whole concept of coaching and and having that part of the care also be covered so that it's not out-of-pocket care that is then another limitation for the patient. I totally agree with everything Anna Marie said. Um, I do think as SIO um, partners with these very um, well-known and definitive organizations such as ASCO where guideline and NCCN where the guidelines are incorporated, we are educating our colleagues and we're showing the insurance companies which pay for most of our care in this country, the benefits. And if you can show them the downstream benefits in their finances, it can get more people to start planning and offering this as part of the insurance coverage. I think the VA has looked at this and they're actually, you know, incorporating a lot of integrative care for their patients because they're seeing the cost effectiveness overall. Um, But unfortunately, not all insurance. And I've been at Ford a long time and it's taking me many years through education and just showing my colleagues, the benefits of integrative care. Now, the majority of them, especially in oncology, but not just oncology, believe in it. And we have order sets to make it as easy as possible to put in a referral for acupuncture, put in for massage, for Reiki, for exercise. I developed an exercise program with our exercise physiologist that we can refer patients to while they're under treatment and even afterwards. And we partner with one of our um, sports teams here to develop a philanthropic fund to cover for those patients who can't afford it. But everybody gets it for free during their cancer treatment, for sure. But afterwards, that's where some of the issues to maintain good health comes in, where insurance companies really need to look at these models and start paying for good health. Yeah, I think that's, first of all, that is great work. I mean, and, and a lot of this is up to us as leaders and people dedicated to this field to kind of try things. You know, you got to be creative. I think the three of us um, work in in locations where um, we see a lot of inequity. I'm in Cleveland at University Hospitals, right? You're in Detroit, Eleanor, and Anna Maria, you're in Philadelphia, right? So there's lots of opportunities. Um, I have found that 
one of the more successful things to try is to, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to collaborate. You know, there are public, um, you know, either city funded or government funded programs that you can tap into and partner with. And then usually I, I, I find that there's a lot of emphasis on this, whether it's within oncology or outside of oncology to uh, increase access and equity in, in healthcare. And so that's what I've been trying to work on myself is just kind of continuing to build bridges for like-minded folks and uh, and collaborate. You know, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for that because some of this, you have to have some collaboration. If you're going to get people access to food, you mentioned, you know, the philanthropic side of it, but if you're going to get people access to food, transportation, you know, all the different things, whether it's technology, um, you know, some people are providing iPads and these kind of things that can help us implement what, what we do best, which is, you know, focusing on lifestyle and symptom management, those kind of things. Are, do you guys have um, examples of of these kind of collaborations where you feel like the city is invested? So during COVID, there was some program where people who did not have, um, and I think it was some sort of a smart device, but so it could have been a phone or an iPad. They were provided one. And then it was also great because they were able to have the support to learn how to use it. And the goal was to really use it for telemedicine. I'm not aware of current programs in that area. And, and, you know, even though telemedicine was so ubiquitous during the peak of the pandemic, the amount has decreased, uh, although I think it still would be a great benefit for so many people. Mm So, so yeah, increasing access um, can mean more than, you know, just can you get to the doctor's office? But that is, you know, transportation, we're always asking for money for transportation. Sure. Yeah. In Detroit, transportation is a major issue. As a New Yorker, I am used to being able to get any place I want to be for $3. Okay. One way granted. But Outside of New York City or Philly, it's very difficult, or D.C., to find something like that. So we use our community health workers, our American Cancer Society, um, some of the organizations that work with patients really on the ground level in Detroit. So we always, as a radiation oncologist, our patients have to come in daily for treatment. Mm -hmm. So we have a whole conjury of ways to get them into the department for treatment and for follow-up visits. Even And we actually have our own fund in our department to facilitate as the last resort (laughs) to get patients in for their treatment. But I think that's a very, very important thing. And that's where the rural issues come in too. Now we've extended our um, virtual and telemedicine, especially for our rural patients so that they can access us better. And that's why we've partnered now with Michigan State University to work on some of these issues because they tend to see more rural patients and we tend to see more urban patients. But you know, the issues can be the same for both. So if we address one well, we'll address the other well. Great. I want to shift a little bit and talk about internationally also. You know, as you start kind of widening your lens, we have so many of these issues in this country, in the U.S., 
but it's uh, it's sometimes even you know more profound internationally. So you know, I, I, how do we start bridging some of those gaps, which are you know sometimes very profound? You know, is part of that just us again doing the research and showing first and foremost what works and models of care? It seems a little overwhelming uh, at times. And how do you see integrative oncology helping to mm-hmm. um, to to kind of serve that space? And, and maybe um, really thinking of integrative oncology as starting at the start, so uh, starting at prevention and screening, because if we can keep people healthy, then hopefully we'll prevent illness. Uh, th- that's where I think the great opportunity is for integrative oncology. There's no health system that can deal with the incredible complications of all of these chronic illnesses uh, that are coming from our toxic lifestyle. So I, I think integrative medicine, by helping people to eat well, to sleep well, to decrease stress, to move their bodies, those are tremendous benefits. And then to get screening out to people um, so that disease can be found earlier. And and, I, and those are studyable questions, right? Mm-hmm. And those are questions that, not a, that have a healthcare component, but also have an economic component so that we can really, you know, when you think about for example, the impact of cervical cancer and that it impacts people from a productivity standpoint because these are young women that are getting the disease. So so, so I just feel like there's tremendous impact for those questions if we can study them effectively. Mm-hmm. But I also think the other side of it, I agree with everything Anna Marie says, but I think of, I do a lot of um, work with breast cancer in Africa and it's somewhat prostate also. And what we're seeing... Where, where in Africa? Um, we do sub-Saharan Africa. So Ghana, uh, Nigeria, Tanzania. So what we found, for example, especially with prostate patients, they tend to go to the integrative or alternative doctor before they will go to their main primary care doctor, their alternative doctor is their primary care. So part of what we are working on and trying to do is educate those traditional traditional doctors. We understand the benefits of what you're helping the patient with, but when things are coming up, let's work together Mm -hmm. so we can have the better outcome for these patients. The same thing um, with breast cancer patients. So sometimes we're seeing them later than they should be seen. So that's why I think a partnership and education across the board, and we actually do have a Pfizer grant for that right now, working in Nigeria and Ghana. That's that's wonderful. I mean, I think that, you know, this idea of including, you know, kind of these complementary therapy providers, I mean, that is the integrative kind of approach and being collaborative. I know some similar things happen in India where, um, you know, there's just a practice pattern that develops and certain regional patterns or population patterns in terms of who might be seen first. Um, And I've had some experiences where I've gone to some of these clinics and as a medical doctor, there are times where I'm like, well, you know, they they should have seen somebody else, right? But, But the patient may not know that. And so it's really important to kind of include everybody and collaborate and have some communication rather than exclude um, and just leave the patient on their own, so to speak, right? And I think in these other countries too, 
I mean, my family's from the Caribbean, using teas and different uh, barks and using integrative therapies was always part of our family's health care. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we didn't not go to the primary care doctor. We did. But at home, we had home remedies that we used together. And I think that's where sometimes the disconnect is that people will only rely on one thing instead of taking all of it and have their doctors, their different healthcare providers talk together so that you get the best treatment and everybody's aware of what everybody else is doing. So for me, it was a natural thing, but it's not always like that. And many countries around the world, people have their own traditions mm-hmm. of medical care. So how can we all educate each other and see the benefits and work together to give the patients the best outcome? I also think there's opportunity for partnering. Um, there was a colleague in Arizona who was really interested in skin cancer detection and melanoma detection. And uh, I think the study recently was published which is, you know, people go and get massages. They may Mm -hmm. not think to go to a dermatologist, but the massage therapist is looking at the body Mm -hmm. and to teach them how to detect worrisome lesions. And it was successful, you know, that people were able to successfully pick things up, refer uh, the patients, the patients listened to the massage therapist, got follow-up and, you know, uh, however many um, numbers of disease, you know, was f- found earlier than it would have been. Well, you mentioned this before. That's I mean, this, it is. I mean, this team approach, um, which is what we really focus on um, in integrative oncology, you know, as we're, we're all in oncology, right? And there's limited time uh, with your patient. And sometimes, I mean, this has happened so many times where it might be the massage therapist, it might be the yoga instructor, who picks up on something or has the most time and sometimes a dramatic influence on a patient's uh, cancer journey just by, you know, and then they communicate that with the, with the whole team. And that can make a really, you know, big difference, I think. That just happened last week. And it's not even the provider. This was the CSR in our integrative medicine um, clinic here in the building one of my former patients came and she's like, you know, my arm is, well, not former, but now in follow-up, my arm looks a little swollen. So she picked up the phone and called me and said, she's coming in for a massage in this day. Can I add her to your schedule? I'm like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I saw her, she didn't have major swelling, but I made sure she followed up with her plastic surgeon who performed the lympha procedure because she had several nodes um, positive and get her back into the lymphedema clinic just to make sure that nothing is going on that might cause problems later on. I'm going to ask you guys, uh, I think uh, my, my, my final question, which is, you know, how do we get to as good a situation? I mean, it's never going to be perfect, but how do we get to as good a situation with equitable healthcare and integrative care, and is does it come down to universal health care? You know, can you do it outside of universal health care? Because that we keep dancing around the subject of insurance. Can you do it like you mentioned the VA, Eleanor? You know, 
Does it have to be kind of some umbrella where we have a value-based care model where there are just some things that we take that, you know, are not with financial incentive that, you know, we just agree needs to be covered or how do we get there? And curious your thoughts. I do think it would be best if we could have universal health care, but a minimum coverage like other places do. There are just certain things just like now with the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, as everybody likes to say, there's a minimum coverage for everyone of certain tests because we know the benefits of that. Stress reduction. My nephew is a psychiatrist. I'm sure he would agree to have mental health as one of the things that are always covered as a baseline testing. So I think we really do need to have minimum coverage for integrative therapies also for all people, not just oncology patients. We need it for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're right. We dance around this issue, but if people can't get care, <laughs> that that's just, a, it's like a, a non-starter. Mm-hmm. What the right path is, I mean, that may not be something that, you know, like I know directly, but but people need care. And, uh, and also, I think we need to engage patients. And there, I think, is also the beauty about integrative care, that in general, healthcare is often, I'm the physician, I tell you to do this, you go do that, and you will get well. And patients feel, I think, reasonably, that health is something that happens to you. It's not something that I get for myself. Whereas I really see myself in many ways, as a facilitator for health. Mm-hmm. You know, let me help restore your body to good health. Uh, yes, there are medications and the medications can have tremendous impact, the treatments, etc. But you're doing the hard work. Your body is going through this and you're making decisions and choices about what you're, uh, what you are doing with your body. And that puts the patient in control. And that by itself, I think, is something a lot of people are not accustomed to. You know, it's not in our culture that I am a well person. I have capacity to maintain my wellness. And that's probably what drove all of us to be interested in this in this field is because we all have this kind of, whether it's from cultural beliefs or just our own self-beliefs or even just from our own studying, that um, this seems to be a little bit you know, not emphasize the way it should be, right? Absolutely. I think what I, for example, when I'm treating left-sided breast cancer, and so, you know, we are doing all the things we can with radiation to protect a patient's heart, but I tell them about the Excite program, that's our exercise program, and I said, this is your part. I will do everything on my side to protect your heart. But you know, if you do this exercise, especially during treatment and ongoing, you're going to protect your heart against the drugs and the radiation. So it's a partnership is what I tell them, that we're working together. I can't make you do it. I can only encourage you, but I'm going to facilitate giving you 
all the tools you need to be successful and to have a good outcome. And when you do, I agree with Anna Marie, when you approach a patient that way, it's kind of a new concept for them. And then they're like, you know, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that, right, like you said, Santosh, that's really exciting, you know, to be able to kind of open up to the patient. Wow, I can do this. I have control. And also our culture, you know, in so many things, we're, we're reactive to so many things as opposed to feeling, yeah, I, I'm an actor here and I can make choices and I can make choices that are for my benefit and maybe own the choices that, yeah, I did that. I know that that wasn't in my total best interest, but I did do that. So, so anyway, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for integrative health. Yeah, I agree. I mean, change doesn't happen just by itself. It takes all of us and uh, a lot of other people working on this through research, education, policy, guidelines, philanthropy, you know, and just a lot of a lot of people working together. Um, I appreciate your guys' involvement in this. I mean, you're both leaders in this area. Um, and you've done a lot within integrative oncology to, you know, to really give a voice to health equity. Um, so I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Santos. And thank you for all that you do, too. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Santos. Great to talk with you.